Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'll be looking there in just a moment. I wanted to take a moment to thank you all for being here. It's good to see everyone this morning. It's, it's good to be back, myself, personally. I was gone last week holding a gospel meeting up in Athens, Georgia, where I moved here from uh, almost four years ago, which seems hard to believe. Um, but the brethren there asked me to come back and to hold a gospel meeting for them, and I was honored to be able to do so. Um, we had an encouraging time together. Um, very good to see old friends, spend some time, deliver some messages from God's Word. Very encouraging, um, but it's always good to come back home. Always good to be home. So thank you all for um, allowing me to be away from you. I know you were in good hands while I was gone. I heard that there were good lessons and good sermon and everything, and so, as I knew there would be, and um, it's a joy to be so loved by the brethren here, um, so thank you all for um, being so lovable and loving. I want to talk this morning about um, minding our speech. Um, you know, the things that, that we say, the, the words that come out of our mouth uh, are, are are critical in, in how we represent ourselves as children of God. The Bible has a lot to say about it. Um, this is, will not be an exhaustive lesson on, uh, on our speech, but hopefully we bring some things to, to mind that we need to uh, remember, uh, especially um, the do's and don'ts. In uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 4 and verse 29, it says there, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. We need to be very, very careful about the words that we say, the words that we use. And Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That's a pretty high standard. Um, but sometimes we want to say some things that we ought not to. But the idea here is to, to bridle the tongue, and we'll talk about that more later, as James has much to say about that in his book. We'll talk about that towards the end, but for, for now, let's, let's, let's start off by understanding that uh, there is a lot said about um, what we say and how that reflects our love of God, how it reflects our service to Him, and how we represent ourselves as, as the Lord's body. There's a lot at stake, so let's think very carefully and, and thoughtfully and lovingly about the things that we say. Let's start off by talking this way about the idea that um, there's two kinds of speech. There's improper speech, the things we ought not to say. I wanted to look at just a few of these and, and remind ourselves of some things. There in Ephesians 5, if you're there, let's read a couple of verses here. Let's start there in verse 1. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Let's stop there for just a moment and see the, the stakes here that we're talking about. What does Paul say? Just as Christ also loved you, we ought to be beloved children, walk in love, just as he loved us to the, to the point that he gave himself for us, that he sacrificed himself out of the love that he had for us, that 
sets the standard for the love that we are to have for each other. Remembering the great love that God had, that Jesus had, that his only begotten son was put to death, that we might have the opportunity to be saved from our sins. Verse 3, it says, Do not let immorality or any impurity or greed even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Again, setting the standard, setting the bar. What should not be there? Immorality, impurity, greed. It shouldn't even be named among us. We should not even have those words associated with us. And then look what he says there in verse 4. And there must not be, uh, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. So that first thing we can see there about improper speech, filthiness, silly talk, and coarse jesting. And he says there, right at the end there, uh, or in the middle of the verse really, he says, which are not fitting. The words that we use, the talk, the kind of language that we engage in, first of all, does it need to be any of those three things? Does it need to be filthy? Does it need to be silly talk and, and, and ridicule and, and those kinds of things? Or coarse jesting? We might call those dirty jokes. That's the kind of language not, that's not befitting a Christian. That's the kind of language that we ought not to be engaged in. Over in chapter 4 there in Ephesians, look in verse 17. Turn back probably a page there in your Bibles. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. It says, This I say, therefore, um, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluding, uh, excluding from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You know, as Paul is laying out the, the arguments here about coming out of the world and going into the kingdom and, and, and being a child of God and coming out of worldliness, he says there, that's, that's how the Gentiles used to walk, with this kind of mindset. And the mindset, the futility of their mind, excluded from the life of God, their ignorance. That's the old man. That's the old woman. That's not the creature that we are now. We ought to be those that don't engage in such kind of things and don't engage in such kind of talk. Back over in Ephesians 5, we, we understand, again, the stakes that are here. It says there in verse 5, for, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. The stakes are very high, brethren. It says these kind of people, these kind of actions in which he's laying out all of these things, including filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, such behavior has no place in the kingdom. So we, don't, we won't go through and talk about each one of those things. I think those are, are pretty self-explanatory, the kind of talk that those things represent. What I want to bring to your mind is that idea that those things have no place in the kingdom. We need to clean up our language. Make sure we're not engaged in such filthy talk, such coarse jesting. Another kind of improper speech which is right here in this same passage, which is, is pretty interesting to me, is the idea of empty words. Look down there in verse 6. 
It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So while there's uh, some improper speech and, and, and lots of things that we can say, there's also lots of things that we say that are meaningless. In this passage here, Paul is talking about the empty words. And, and, and again, the stakes are so high. Look what it says there. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes, becomes, comes uh, upon the sons of disobedience. These kind of words incur the wrath of God and, and ought not to be engaged in. So what are we talking about when you're talking about empty words? Look over in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. It says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. We have to be on guard against those who are going around with uh, these kinds of uh, words on their lips. These are empty words. These are words that cause hindrances and, and, and are contrary to the teaching. And what does Paul say to the Romans? He says to turn away from them. These are people who have things to say, but they're empty. They're not in, in accordance with what God has had us to to know through his word and not what he would have us to know through the teachings of his son. They're empty. We have to be very careful about those who cause dissensions with the things that they say. Make sure that we're not being led astray by empty words. Because as Paul says there, that incurs the wrath of God. Stakes are very high. Another kind, closely related to empty words... And that is gossip. Gossip is one of those things that we sometimes may have a hard time drawing a line in the sand. But I think it's one of those things that we know it when we hear it. Over in uh, 1 Timothy 5, look with me there, 1 Timothy 5. As Paul is discussing uh, with, of course, the young evangelist Timothy and giving him instructions on how uh, things ought to be done in the, in the church. He has this discussion here in chapter 5 about widows and, and the things that ought to be done and ought not to be done and, and the attitude and the, the traps that can be fallen into. In 1 Timothy um, 5, verse 13, it says, And at the same time, they also, to be, uh, they also learn to be idle and they go around from house to house and not merely idle but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. In the specific context here, he's talking about young widows. If you look there, verse 11, but refuse to put younger widows on the list. For when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. And so the idea here of young widows in, in idle time, time on their hands, and the trap that they can fall into because of that. It says they go around from house to house, uh, and not merely idle, but also gossips. Uh, 
busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Men, I don't want you to think that we're off the hook here because he's specifically talking to women. He's specifically talking to young um, widows in this, in this instance. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Men, we're not off the hook. Of course we can engage in gossip. Of course this is something that we're not immune from. In chapter 3, 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 1, it says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. Listen to this and then get an idea of the kind of uh, attitudes that are present. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, and here's our word, malicious gossips, haters, uh, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Look what it says there at the end of verse 5. Again, similar to what he said over in Romans, avoid such men as these. You know, we, we need to, to, to turn away from this kind of behavior, to, 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 to give it no quarter, to give it no um, part in our lives, to give it no kind of credibility by even listening to it. Turn away from that. So men, we're on the hook here too. We can't be this, these kind of, of men. We can't be this kind of attitude. Brutal, haters of good, malicious gossips. You know, it's not just gossiping, but it's, a, it's, it's with, a, with a bad intent. It's with the idea of tearing somebody down by going around and talking about them behind their back. If we look at what the, the definition, if you were just to go and, and, and look up gossip, casual or unconstrained con- conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. Doesn't that sound, don't we understand what that means? We go around and talk about people behind their backs. May not even be true. We may just be speaking offhandedly. Talking out of school, I think, is a, is a phrase that we might be familiar with. Casual, unconstrained conserv- uh, conversation or reports about other people. That's not the way we ought to talk. We ought not to talk about someone behind their back we have something to say, we need to talk to that person, especially if, they're, if, if we've been wronged, if there's something going on that they need to be convicted of their sin, we need to talk to that person directly. Malicious gossips. You know, there's that, there's that intent again. The intent that uh, you're doing this um, with, with a terrible attitude in your heart, a terrible intent that you're trying to tear somebody down. With those things being said, let's talk about the other kind of speech. Let's talk about some proper speech. Let's contrast what we've just listed there, just those three things, with the way instead that a Christian ought to speak. Instead of filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting, a Christian ought to be speaking in giving of thanks. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5, where we left off a minute ago. Ephesians chapter 5. 
So as Paul's laying that out there about here's the things that you ought not to do, immorality, impurity, or greed, silly talk, coarse jesting, these things are not fitting. Look what he says there at the very end of verse 4. He says, rather, giving of thanks. So it's not just the idea of not saying, not speaking that way, but then filling up our speech with the idea and with the words of giving thanks. Blessings and not curses. Look over in chapter 4 again of Ephesians, this time in verse 20. As he's, we just mentioned there, as the, the, it talks about how the Gentiles used to walk, or the Gentiles walk and the futility of their mind, he says there in verse 20, he says, but you didn't learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, being created in righteousness and holiness of truth. You see the contrast? That's the way the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind and darkness. You didn't learn Christ that way. You haven't been taught in, in a negative way about the glory and the honor and the, the righteousness that is in God and through his son Jesus Christ. You haven't been taught that way. You ought to be giving thanks, not tearing down, not engaged in, in dirty jokes and coarse language and silly talk, but rather in giving thanks. Look at the things that you could be saying. Honor God through your words. Don't tear other people down and thus dishonor God. But build people up. As there are empty words in, in Paul's uh, description here about those who bring those kind of things, the good part of that are words of eternal life. Go over to John chapter 6. Rather than, than trying to lead people astray, smooth words, flattering speech, Paul talks about a different gospel in Galatians where he, he chastises the Galatians about turning away from a, from a gospel to another gospel, he says, which really is not another gospel. Rather than doing that, rather than having empty words, let's talk about the words of eternal life. And John 6 here as Jesus is speaking and he, and he tells them about the idea of um, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's speaking, of course, in, in, in the future of coming of the, the, the bread and the fruit of the vine, which will be his, his body and his blood, and, and talking about how taking that in is important. He's using the analogy of, of actually consuming him. But it is that. It's an analogy. But some of his disciples had a hard time understanding that. And we see the verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue. He taught in Caperna uh, Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus goes on to say, you know, this, is this what causes you to stumble? Behold, the Son of, a man, uh, Son of Man ascending where he was before. And verse 65, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. And look what it says in verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Because of his teaching, because of these difficult things that he had to say, some left. 
Verse 67, Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? And there's good old Peter, ready, to, ready with an answer. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So let's contrast those things. The empty words where someone would, would come to you with smooth speech, with flattering words, and, and, and try to lead, lead you astray, versus the words of eternal life. The words of God. We've talked about in our Bible class this morning how God has been so specific about uh, his plan of salvation, so specific about how we enter into the kingdom, so specific about the things that we do and the things that we don't do. Those are the words of eternal life. The, the gospel has the power to save man's souls all the way down to today, this very moment. Let's talk about that. Let's not talk about empty words where they're just our think-sos and, and, and trying to lead people uh, in, into uh, astray into something that, that, that we think and what we want to do and where we might want to lead the church. Let's talk about words of eternal life. Let's talk about the gospel. Let's talk about the words that God has given. The holy, inspired word of God. And where there is gossip... Let's replace that with graceful speech. Look over in Colossians 4. <clears throat> Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Isn't that, isn't that the complete opposite? Isn't that the, the, the complete other direction of gospel? Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Remember what gossip meant? Casual, unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true? Contrast that with your speech always being with grace, seasoned as it were with salt. What's that idea mean, seasoned with salt? What makes food taste better? A little salt makes food taste better, right? As you get older, you have to kind of cut that out, right? You get a, get a little older. doctor wants you to cut that out. But the idea here is, is the words that we say need to be palatable. Need to be, we need to we think about how they are being received or think about how they taste. So our words need to be seasoned that way. Our words, salt also is a, always think about the usefulness of salt. It's not lost on me when we talk about salt, how it's, a, it's used to preserve meats and, and those kind of things, but there's a usefulness about it. And so our words need to be useful as well as palatable to hear. It doesn't mean that we shy away from, from telling someone the hard truth, but you can tell someone, you can convict someone of their sins in a loving way. So that's the way our speech should be. Not going around behind someone's back and may or may not be true what you're saying, but rather graceful speech, useful speech, speech that is thoughtful, that we have given it thought and that we are delivering it in such a way that we're coming from a place of love and that it's useful to them and it's palatable to them. 
So what does this mean then? It means we have to put some things into action. We have to uh, recognize um, this mouth that we have and the words that come out of it. Go with me to the book of James. James has a lot to say about this, about the words that we use. In James chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Don't you like the black and white of that? If you think that uh, you're religious, but you don't watch what you say, uh, your religion is worthless, is what James says here. If you don't bridle your tongue, if you're, if you're not careful about the words that you say, you're not bringing honor to God. You're not being graceful in your speech. You're kidding yourself, is what he says here. In Matthew 15 and verse 11, our Lord says, It's not what enters the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds from the mouth. That's what defiles the man. You know, so much of the old law and all the restraints on food and, and, and meats sacrificed to idols, which they still dealt with in the early church, you know, all those things about things entering the body and the Pharisees, how they would wash and the ceremonial ways and all that, uh, being careful about what entered the body. And Jesus turns that teaching and makes them understand that it's not what's coming into your body that defiles you, it's what goes out, the words that you say. The things that you speak, how you approach people, that's what defiles the man. But James here says that if you're not bright on your tongue, your, your religion is worthless. Look over in chapter 3 of James. I want to read this whole 1 through 12 here. A rather long reading, but please bear with me and be patient. I want you to, 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 to listen to the idea here that there's a couple of analogies that James uses in something small directing something much bigger. Of course, the analogy is the tongue, the small part of your body, directing your whole body. So listen to what he says here. James chapter 3, beginning verse 1, it says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur, or will incur a stricter judgment. Uh, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble... In what he says, he is a perfect man, man and able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that we may obey us, we direct the entire body as well. Behold, the ships also, though they are so great, are driven by the strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very word, uh, world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth uh, came, come both blessings and curses. 
My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Do you hear the contrast in that? Verse 9 sticks out to me, talking about our tongue. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. Same tongue. How can we do that? How can we bless our Father and curse men with the same tongue, with the same mouth? And think about the, those who we are cursing. It says there at the end of verse 9, the, the men that we are cursing, the people that we are cursing, have been made in the likeness of God. Who are you to go around cursing others that have been made in the likeness of God? And then that so poignant thing that's said there in verse 10, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Ought not to be this way. We shouldn't with the same mouth have blessings and curses. So which one are we going to choose? For a child of God, we've got to choose the blessings. Fountain doesn't come uh, both bitter and fresh water. One or the other. So if we think that we are uh, religious and not bridling our tongue, what did James say? You're deceiving yourself. It's got to be one or the other. Go back to James chapter 1. Let's look at the discussion that leads up to what he says there in verse 26. Verse 19, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but let every one of you be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. And then that's where he says in verse 26, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. We need to be what does it say? Slow to speak. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Put aside all the filthiness and receive the word that you have been spoken. The word that you have heard. Prove yourself doers of the word, not merely hearers. You hear all that? You hear that? Hear the word. Do the word. And put aside all filthiness. All wickedness that remains. We can't have that foot in both camps. We just can't. We can't be worldly and godly at the same time. We have to come out of the world. We have to be effectual doers of the word and not just hearers. And in our lesson, as we, we, we speak about all this, it's important about what we say. The words that come out of our mouth. I'm going to leave you with Ephesians 4. Go back there. Let's read this passage, Ephesians 4. Verse 
beginning in verse 25. It's going to sound familiar. This kind of um, advice, <laughs> shall we say, is throughout, and it's been what we've been looking at. Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Listen, verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification, according to the need of the moment that it may, be, it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The stakes are high. The example has been set. Christ forgave us. And he demonstrated that through his actions, through his willingness to go to the cross and to die. Are we living up to that example? Especially in our speech? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. I talk about this a lot, about when you're listening to someone and talking with someone about being in the moment, listening to what they have to say, putting aside your own agenda for a minute, fits in this, doesn't it? So that you'll know what to say in that moment. And if you're um, one who engages in the, in the, the kind of Improper speech that we talked about earlier, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, empty words, gossips. If those are the kind of words that are, that are in your vocabulary, when that moment comes when you have an opportunity to give the glory to God, it's going to be hard for you to find the right words. Whereas if you're talking from giving thanks, talking about words of eternal life, if you're talking about graceful speech, when that moment comes, those words will be in your vocabulary. And you'll be ready to uh, uh, give edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. You'll be ready in that moment to give grace to those who need to hear it, the grace from God. So our words are so very, very important. Proper speech. The words that we need to have on the tip of our tongue. We need to put those into practice. We need to have those words there and not the others. Let's get rid of those. Put aside all filthiness. Put aside that kind of speech. God's grace is, is, is abounding. What he has done for us, his mercy, don't we owe it to him to speak in such a way that brings glory to him? Brethren and visitors, I will encourage you to mind what you say, to bridle your tongue, to make sure the words that you are saying are indeed giving glory to God. 
not bringing reproach upon you, not bringing reproach upon the church, so that we might stand in, in, the, in the proper manner before our God and give him the glory and the honor he so deserves. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to understand what it means by reading his word, by hearing what is said there, about understanding about who Jesus Christ is. Him, Jesus Christ, and him crucified, as Paul says. That's the gospel message. And we show our obedience to, to God by being baptized, by putting on Christ, by putting to death that old man of sin. Come up out of the waters, the new creature, the new child, to walk in the newness of life. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you to make things right with, with God becoming a child of his. If as a child you're not walking according to the way that has been prescribed, if you're engaged in some of this kind of talk that we've talked about this morning, make things right with him as well. And if it's of a public nature, make that right also by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.